It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Today is Friday, November 1st, 2019. On this day in 2018, 63-year-old Edmund Zagorski was executed by electrocution in Tennessee for two counts of first-degree murder. Before Zagorski's death, there hadn't been a prisoner in the U.S. executed by electrocution in six years. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day, we flip back the calendar to this date years ago and recount one event from true crime history. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today we're covering the execution of Edmund Zagorski. In 1984, Zagorski brutally shot and slit the throats of two men after setting up a fake drug deal. The lengthy litigation process prior to his execution ignited a debate in Tennessee about the effectiveness of capital punishment. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Before we unpack the ramifications of Edmund Zagorski's crimes and execution, let's go back to Nashville, Tennessee at approximately 7.10 p.m. on November 1st, 2018. A small crowd murmured as the last few reporters trickled inside and found their seats in the gallery of the execution room. Low fluorescent light bounced off the clinically white walls and floors, giving the room a faint, surreal glow. To one reporter, the glow seemed appropriate because none of this felt real. He adjusted his glasses and tapped a pen on his legal pad. He hadn't relished this assignment, reporting on Edmund Zagorski's execution, and was glad there hadn't been much to see so far. There was only one window in the gallery, looking directly into the interior of the execution room. For now, it was obscured by a heavy gray curtain. Behind the curtain, there was some kind of metallic clanking. The reporter listened closely to the sounds of straps being fastened and some brief splashes, a bucket full of water being set down on the concrete floor. After a moment, an eerie silence settled in. Even the crowd had stopped whispering. Then the curtain opened and the lights came up. Edmund Zagorski, a squat, bald man, sat in the center of the room, framed perfectly by the window. Around him were his attorney, some prison guards, the warden, and a doctor. Zagorski didn't acknowledge any of them. He stared straight ahead, his eyes narrowed. The intensity of his expression prompted the reporter to involuntarily break eye contact. 
Instead, he focused on a portable hospital bed behind Zagorski, used for inmates who were executed by lethal injection. But it wouldn't be used tonight. Zagorski had chosen death by electric chair. He was the first United States citizen to be executed in this manner in six years. It wasn't clear why he insisted on electrocution, and the decision hadn't come without a fight. The reporter made some notes on his pad. 7.13 p.m., curtain raised, Zagorski looking straight ahead, impassive expression. Zagorski's hands were balled into fists and rested on the wooden arms of the chair. They were the only signs of his tension. The rest of his body remained perfectly still. He didn't struggle against the straps or attempt to look around. The warden, standing off to the side of Zagorski, asked if he had any last words. Zagorski didn't turn or change his expression. He simply said, let's rock. Then for a moment, he smiled. The reporter could only guess what he was thinking. Was he laughing at his own last words? Was he reflecting on his past, or was he too distracted by the events of the present? Perhaps he had been looking back on his life since the day he was sentenced to death 34 years ago. It's possible he was even tired of his own memories. Whatever it was that made Zagorski smile in his last moments didn't last long. An attendant placed a moistened sponge on top of his head, and he scowled as water dripped down his face and onto his upper lip. One of the guards wiped the water from Zagorski's face. Then, at 7.16 p.m., another guard grabbed the thick black cable leading from the back of the chair and plugged it in. The reporter's pulse quickened slightly. He was about to watch a man die. The warden wiped his hands over his face. That was the signal. Zagorski raised his right hand slightly as if giving a short wave before the current started. It wasn't clear whether the wave was meant for anyone in particular. Maybe he was saying farewell to all of reality. Either way, no one waved back. Coming up, we'll examine the significance of Edmund Zagorski's execution. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now back to the story. On November 1st, 2018, 63-year-old murderer Edmund Zagorski was executed. He was convicted of killing 35-year-old John Dale Dotson and 32-year-old Jimmy Wayne Porter 34 years earlier. Zagorski met the victims in 1983 when he was 28 years old. At the time, he was a transient worker. Residents in the area knew him by the alias Jesse Hardin. He camped in the woods around Hickman County, Tennessee, and did odd jobs when he could find them. 
Zagorski approached the Lakeland Trout Farm, where John Dotson worked, on April 5th. He struck up a conversation with Dotson and managed to convince him that he worked as a mercenary in South America. Zagorski claimed that with his South American contacts, he could sell Dotson 100 pounds of marijuana for $25,000. Dotson was convinced he could resell the drugs at a much higher price and made a deal to meet Zagorski again two weeks later with the money. In the meantime, Dotson convinced his friend, Jimmy Porter, to buy the drugs together and split the profits. On the evening of April 23, 1983, Dotson and Porter parked at the edge of the woods near the trout farm and headed into the trees. Dotson had brought along a revolver and a change of clothes in case things went south. He was apparently so suspicious of Zagorski that he had also warned his girlfriend to call someone if he didn't come home later that night. Dotson and Parker found Zagorski in a small clearing holding a rifle. Before either could react, Zagorski fired several shots, bringing both of them down. It's likely they were only wounded as Zagorski also slit their throats. He then robbed the men, hastily hid the bodies, and fled the area on foot. Dotson's boss at the Trout Farm also knew about the meeting between the men, but didn't investigate the shots he heard that night. According to him, the woods nearby were a common local hunting ground. It wasn't unusual to hear rifle fire. Even after Dotson and Parker failed to return that night, little was done to search for their bodies. They were finally found in the woods near their meeting place on May 6, 1983, 13 days after the murders. It didn't take long for police to identify Zagorski as their prime suspect. A bullet casing found near the bodies matched a gun registered to Zagorski, and some locals came clean about the meeting between him, Dotson, and Porter. Investigators tracked Zagorski to Ohio, where he was finally captured after a tense shootout. Almost a year later, Zagorski was convicted and sentenced to death. In the decades afterward, his legal battle continued, but his appeals were rejected. Though he had originally requested lethal injection, on October 8, 2018, for an unknown reason, Zagorski changed his request to death by electrocution. At first, the request was denied, but the state eventually decided to accommodate the change. Meanwhile, activists against capital punishment attempted to compel Tennessee Governor Bill Haslam to grant Zagorski a stay of execution. Haslam refused, but the dispute about Zagorski's sentence raged on, even after his death. There's been pressure on Tennessee and many other states to abolish capital punishment entirely, but there are no signs of the law changing anytime soon. Cases like Zagorski's continue to bring the issue back into the national conversation as we all debate the best way for justice to be carried out.
Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Today in True Crime for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Mahler, Maggie Admire, and Travis Clark. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Terrell Wells. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 